0: We actually talked about this a couple weeks ago, just the idea of why, why being in God's presence, why being in His place is so foundational for us as people of God. And this really, this really has kind of been where we've, we've been reading the past couple weeks. If you guys think back uh, three weeks ago, we got to Israel and the golden calf story, and we're like, why in the world are they worshiping this, this big metal cow in the desert? Uh, and we kind of, as we unpacked and talked about, man, what's going on with all of this? We saw really a picture of the gospel embedded towards the back of Exodus, which is not typically high up on most people's reading plans when they're going through the Bible. But if you guys remember, we saw how in this story, right, three chapters long of the people worshiping a golden calf... And then God kind of having to teach them and say, well, what are you doing? This is, this is not me. This is not who you're supposed to be. We saw this glimpse of the gospel. We saw how our sin tends to make us like this unfaithful bride-to-be, right? That we've been prepared. We've been set apart for this covenant, this life with God. And that's, we're not faithful to that. The sin has broken our ability to be that for God. And so this was Israel's idolatry with the golden calf. Then we also saw how God, when he meets us in our sin, he introduces himself to us. He shows up and he reminds us, hey, I've called you to be my people. In order for you to be my people, you have to remember who I am. And it's this importance of knowing who you are really matters as far as how your faith plays out. God says, and who you are is who I have made you to be. And God shows up He introduces, I am a gracious God. I am a loving God. I am a patient God. He also calls himself a jealous God. He says, I have made things a certain way. Do not take that and go do whatever you want with it. And he says, I hold all these things together in my steadfast nature and out of his forgiveness he takes Israel back in in their state of being unfaithful. And we get to see, too, in all of this a picture of what the Messiah does, right? That Moses is leading the people to be right with God. One of my favorite pictures that we've gotten to in the Old Testament is one where Moses consistently is standing between the people and God. He's saying, God, they have no clue what they are doing, have mercy. On them, take them back as your people. And he turns away, he goes to the people, he says, Hey, what you're doing is not right. There's a God who made you. There's a God whose image you're made to uphold. Let me bring you to him. Let me introduce you to him. This is what Moses has been doing since God showed up and said, This is what I have for you to do at the beginning of Exodus. So now that we get back into the last five chapters here of Exodus now now we get to start to ask the question, so what do we do? If we are people, the Old Testament language that you guys have heard me use is people in covenant relationship. Right? That's... You can still talk about faith today as that, as a covenant relationship between us and God. I know that's not historically the language that many churches used. Uh, So if you hear me saying covenant, 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 it's synonymous with our faith today, okay? I I use covenant because that's that's where we've been in Exodus. But Exodus 35 through the back, the back very end of Exodus, which is chapter 40. Those of you who are counting saying how much longer we in Exodus, almost done the last five chapters really start to flesh out this picture of what do we do? If we are people of this covenant faith with God, then what do we do? And I think it's, it's interesting because, you know, sitting up the way I, I grew in church, most of the pastors I grew up with, their, their sermons were maybe judged more on the application piece, right? If you didn't tell me what to do, then you haven't really taught me much at all. And it's interesting to me, well, the first 34 chapters of Exodus haven't really touched the what to do yet. So thank you for, for taking the journey with me, because we're going to see especially clear in this chapter, if we don't know who we are, if we don't know the God whose image we are made to bear, then it, what we do doesn't really make that much of a difference. At the end of the day. But the flip side, if we know who we are and if we know who our God is, we can't not live as He's designed. So we're going to kind of see, there's two questions, guys, that we're going to wrestle with a little bit in Exodus 35 this morning. The first question is what is Israel doing? Okay. Well, As I read this, just be watching for what is Israel practically doing? Because we'll talk about what does that mean for us. If they're now in the covenant and they're starting to live this out, what is God asking Israel to do? And the second question, how are they doing it? Which might be even slightly more important than the first. What is Israel doing? How are they doing it? How, How is Israel actually living out God's design? And our big picture where we're going this morning is just simply this. Covenant life or our faith, with God is a rhythm of Sabbath-keeping and temple-building. I'm being picky using language that you guys have heard throughout the whole book. We'll talk a little bit more about what each of those is. But covenant life with God is a rhythm of Sabbath-keeping and temple-building, and it is enabled and directed by His Holy Spirit. Okay? That's what we're going to see this morning. So if you've got your word with you, go ahead and get to Exodus 35. I'll read it here. I believe it will also be on the screen. This is Exodus 35 beginning in verse 1. And we're actually going to stop before the end of the chapter today. So beginning in verse 1. Moses assembled all the congregation of the people of Israel and said to them, These are the things that the Lord has commanded you to do. Six days' work shall be done, but on the seventh day you shall have a Sabbath of solemn rest. Holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on it shall be put to death. You shall kindle no fire in all your dwelling places on the Sabbath day. So Moses then says to the congregation of the people of Israel, This is the thing that the Lord has commanded. Take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever is of a generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution gold, silver, and bronze, blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twine linen, goat's hair, tanned ram skins and goat skins, acacia wood, oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense, and onyx stones and stones for setting for the ephod and for the breastpiece. Let every skillful craftsman among you come and make all that the Lord has commanded. The tabernacle, and its tent and its covering, its hooks and its frames, its bars, its pillars, and its bases. The ark, with its poles, the mercy seat, and the veil of the screen. The table, with its poles and all its utensils, and the bread of the presence. The lampstand, also for the light, with its utensils and its lamps, and the oil for the light. And the altar of incense, with its poles and the anointing oil and the fragrant incense, and the screen for the door and at the door of the tabernacle. The altar of the burnt offering, with its grating of bronze, its poles, and all its utensils. The basin and its stand. The hangings of the court and its pillars and its bases. And the screen for the gate of the court. The pegs of the tabernacle and the pegs of the court and their cords. The finely worked garments for ministering in the holy place. The holy garments for Aaron the priest. And the garments of his sons for their service as priests. That's a big longry list of stuff that they're supposed to build. Those of you, if you've been here for a while, you remember we were talking about all the, the temple blueprints. This is just Moses saying, now we're gonna go build this, okay? So this, all, all the little details, all the little, even the pegs, all that stuff, Moses has called the people to now go and build. So verse 20, here's what the people do. Then all the congregation of the people of Israel departed from the presence of Moses. Then they came back, everyone whose heart stirred him and everyone whose spirit moved him. And they brought the contribution to the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of meeting and for all its service and for the holy garments. So they came, both men and women, all who, have, who were of a willing heart, bought brooches and earrings and signet rings and armlets, all sorts of gold objects, every man dedicating an offering of gold to the Lord." And everyone who possessed blue or purple or scarlet yarns or fine linen or goat's hair or tan ram skins or goat skins brought them. Everyone who could make a contribution of silver or bronze, they brought it to the Lord. And everyone who possessed acacia wood of any use in the work, they brought it. And every skillful woman spun with her hands, and they all brought what they had spun in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twine linen. All the women whose hearts stirred them to use their skill spun the goat's hair. And the leaders brought onyx stones and stones to be set for the ephod and for the breastpiece and the, sp- the spices and the oil for the light and for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense. All the men and women, the people of Israel, whose heart moved them to bring anything for the work that the Lord had commanded by Moses to be done. They brought it as a freewill offering to the Lord. Father, before we seek to understand your word this morning. Um, may your spirit enable our hearts and our minds, God. It's been a journey, uh, it's been a, a blessed journey, Father, to walk through your word, uh, just to get to see, I mean, man, buried in some of these lists, some of these genealogies. Father, you've, you've hidden some, some deep foundational truths for who we are as your people, people of God, the church, and what we are to do as a result. Father, thank you for your picture of the gospel that we've been seeing so clearly the past few weeks, Lord, and may we keep that picture in mind as we start to talk today about what this this covenant life looks like, Lord. May we not forget uh, the work that you have done just to even bring us into this covenant, God. We would not be here today if it wasn't for what you did on the cross in Jesus Christ. So, Father, we are grateful for who you are. And show us what that means for us. In your holy name we pray. Amen. So the first question that we're wrestling with in chapter 35 is, what is Israel doing? Okay, What did you actually see Israel do? And simply, if you boiled down what they did into two things, they were called to keep the Sabbath and to build the temple. Right? Some of you are going, uh, yeah, that's what the past couple chapters leading up to this were talking about. It was like how to keep the Sabbath and how to build the temple. The people are doing as God told them to do keep the Sabbath, build the temple. So, where we get keep the Sabbath from? In the first three verses, specifically in verse two, Moses says, or God says to Israel through Moses, six days' work shall be done, but on the seventh day you shall have a Sabbath. Verse two. And I love because you know, I guess growing up, the way I was taught about the Sabbath, it was just like a day you didn't do anything. Uh, and most of you guys are like, yeah, where does we're one have the time to just do nothing on an entire day? So I'm, I'm grateful that Moses kind of gives us a little insight as to, well, what is the Sabbath? He says in verse two, first, that it's a solemn rest. The And there's a couple places in this chapter today. I'm not telling you don't trust your English translations, but there's some places where it just doesn't quite capture what the Hebrew language is doing. I try not to dive into that too much in each sermon, but you're gonna hear a little bit more Hebrew this morning because there's just a lot more going on here than we see in our English Bibles. So where it says the Sabbath is a solemn rest, Moses actually uses the same word there twice. He calls it the Shabbat Shabbaton. You shall have a Sabbath of Sabbath, a rest of rests. Really, it's, it's repeating the same thing twice so that they get how big of a deal this is. Right? So the first time we see the Sabbath show up, it's in Genesis chapter 2. God rests on the seventh day of creation. And He does so to bless His his creation, everything that he's made, but also to teach us, hey, when God makes something, when God creates, when he ordains, when he establishes, it's good. It's complete. It's not lacking anything. Like what God has made is good. The way that he desires us to be, how he's made us, is perfect. It also teaches us that one of my favorite phrases that i heard somebody teach on the sabbath use was it shows that god knows how to say enough that when it, the the imagery was of somebody you know sculpting something out of marble or clay whatever you would sculpt out of uh, they knew when their sculpture was done they knew when to say enough they didn't have to keep tinkering they weren't just busy doing something all the time they knew when to step back and to say that Is good, So God gives us the Sabbath as a way of saying, okay, we need to stop to recognize that what God has made is good and to tell God, yes, Lord, (laughs) what you've made is is good. Jesus also teaches in Mark chapter 2, he says, now don't, don't get caught up in thinking this is like some legalistic thing. He says man was not made for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath was made for man. Jesus says eight. God gave this to you as a blessing, something you would get to take part in to remember, oh, right, this is who God is. Oh, right, this is who I am. Thank you, God, praise be to you for for making this this way. So Moses is, is communicating a lot when he says, it's a solemn rest. It's a Sabbath of Sabbaths. Remember where this came from. Remember who God is. He also describes it as a time holy to the Lord, in Exodus, we've heard God talk about Israel as being a holy people. When the Old Testament talks about something as holy, it means it was set aside for something special. Right? So when God calls His people holy, He says, I've set you aside, you're going to be different from the rest of the world because you are going to be the people who are going to introduce the world to who I am. So there are special people set aside. Now Moses says, as special people, you are going to set aside part of your time for something special, being reminded of who I am and who I've made you to be. We also are told that it is a, a day without work. The Hebrew for work there was referencing the work of temple building, right? That Moses says, you guys are about to embark on this massive building project. You cannot go at it 24 um, seven. Working in the construction industry as a civil engineer for the little time I did, I realized uh, construction burns out a lot of people because you got deadlines. And part of winning your bid is saying, I can do it in the shortest amount of time. Moses says that's not the attitude that we are going to have when we build this temple. We are going to have some time built in to rest. And there's a really interesting phrase in here that kind of tells us, okay, how badly does God want His people to take a break? Verse 3, You shall kindle no fire in all your dwelling places on the Sabbath day. Now, I'm going to tell you that there's not, in my commentary research, not a lot of people know what to do with this. So I'm not going to tell you that I have an idea of something that nobody else has thought of. But I do want to share with you my my personal thought. Why does God say, don't light a fire in your house on the Sabbath, how this fits? One of my mentors growing up used to tell me, tongue-in-cheek, so he's half kidding, but he's half serious, that he truly believes the worst invention for mankind was the light bulb. I was like, Nick, where are you going with this? It's like, let me explain. Nick, Nick would say, before the light bulb, we used to have to depend on God for light. So when God took the light away, like when it was nighttime, people would have to literally go rest, right? You can't do a whole lot when you can't see anything around you. So he said that we used to have these natural rhythms of, oh, we have light, we're productive, we take care of things, we go meet with people, we do everything, we have darkness, okay, now we rest because we can't do anything more. He says once we made the light bulb, now we had power over light. We could take rest when we wanted. Now you can have businesses open 24-7 because we can make light at all times. And I was like, okay, that's... That's interesting. Now please, this is not your pastor saying go home and take all your light bulbs out of your house and that, you, that light bulbs are inherently evil. But I think it is interesting. Nick, Nick used to just point out, you know, when, when, when we made light, it's just like it added responsibility to us. Don't let this be something that consumes you to the point where you forget the rhythm of life that God has given. I don't think it's too much of a stretch to say Well, when we made light for ourselves, we started to realize all the things we could do once we could see. And there are typically things related to production, right? Now we can do more. We could take rest on our terms. We have a little bit of power. What have we seen about valuing power production in the book of Exodus, church? Is this this something that God is really okay with? I don't think it's too much of a stretch to say when God says don't make your own light on the Sabbath, He's saying, hey, I'm serious. Like, don't put yourself in a place where you're going to be tempted to start doing things other than reminding yourself of who I am. He says when, when the light goes out for the day, when the sun goes down, don't light a light. You don't have anything more to do. You're with me. That's what you're doing today. He says if you make your own light, you're going to neglect rest. Rest. Pursue power, production, self. God has said this entire book of Exodus, that's not who I am. He says, your rest will remind you who I am. So he tells the Israel, keep the Sabbath. Second thing he tells them to do is to build the temple. And Moses outlines a specific process for how this temple is going to be built. He says in verses 4 through 9, it's going to start by taking a contribution, an offering. right? Just a, I'm choosing to give this up an offering from everyone whose hearts moved them. So God was going to stir in the people to say, "Okay, I'll give this up for the work of the temple." He says, "Then we're going to have some skillful workers, we're going to talk a little bit more about who they are, to actually make these things come to life. So we're going to give these things to God, we're going to take on this work, and we're going to build it in light of the blueprints that God gave earlier. Build the Sabbath or keep the Sabbath, build the temple. If you guys remember from earlier, I want to quickly recap for you. When I say keep the Sabbath, like, is he talking about you know, setting aside an entire day? Like, Where's God going with this? If you remember in Exodus 3, Moses flees to the desert and he starts living with the Midianites. And God meets him and he reminds him to keep the Sabbath as a way to rest in his presence. In Exodus 7 and 8, in the plagues, God reveals his power to his people because he's trying to bring them to be with him. And he says, this is what my Sabbath is. Chapter 12, verse 42 through 13, 16. During the Passover, God describes the Sabbath as a way of reminding themselves and others of who he is. 1630. In the wilderness, God calls Israel to keep the Sabbath as a way of remembering and trusting in his provision. Chapters 19 and 20. As God gives the law to his people, he commands them, hey, Sabbath keeping is part of what you do to be right with me. So the whole testimony of Exodus, for the people of Israel, it was a literal day, but for us, it's, it's a, a mindset, a lifestyle, a rhythm of pausing to remember who God is, to even spend a minute reflecting on that. Man, what does that mean, that God is good? And to praise Him for it. God says, this is fundamentally supposed to be who you are if you are are my people if you are followers of Christ. Build the temple. What have we talked about temple building in? Chapter 26, God's temple was to be his dwelling place. Right? We are building the place where God is going to dwell on earth. If you, in chapter 27, God's temple was the place where the work of gathering and reconciliation would take place. Where would the world come to know who God is? How could the world be brought back to God in his temple? In chapter 28, God's temple housed His priests. God says those who are going to live and work in this are going to be people of reconciliation. They're going to be people who show others not just who God is, not just like set up the standard for them to look and see who God is, but they're actually going to go to those who are hurting, to those who are needy, to those who, who are not right with God. They will go to them and lead them to be right with God. I love Exodus 30 puts it like this. We talked about the priests were not the people who told everybody else what to do. They were the people who showed everybody else who God was. Thank you, Moses. So all of this, the, the temple building, if you remember in chapters 29 and 31, we really hit hard. We said that the temple today was us. So God has called you and I to be the place where if we are right with Christ, the world's going to come to know who God is, right? God says the greatest testimony that I can give to my creation of who I am and what I desire for my world is in my people, right? Like who, who will you listen to? If somebody comes to describe something to you, right, you listen to people. God says I work through people. So this is the work, church, that God calls Israel to do. A a rhythm of Sabbath-keeping and temple-building. A rhythm of us pausing to reflect on who God is, knowing who He is, and then daily actually letting Him build His temple in us, letting us be made into God's image. This is the work God has called people to do in His covenant. But if you look at this chapter, there's something else going on, because we're also told how. How this work takes place. So, covenant life is a rhythm of Sabbath keeping and temple building, but it is enabled and directed by His Holy Spirit. There's, there's some interesting phrases in this chapter that, again, like I said, our English says it a bunch of different ways where the Hebrews really only saying one thing over and over and over again. So, the, the phrases I'm looking at, guys. Verse 21, "...everyone whose heart stirred him, everyone whose spirit moved him." Verse 22, "...all of a willing heart." Verse 26, "...all the women whose heart stirred them." Verse 29, "...all the men and women, the people of Israel whose heart moved them." So you've got spirit and heart stirring and moving. They kind of get used interchangeably. The English does that because there are two different Hebrew words being used. There is a word for spirit and a word for heart. And the English gets that right. But the the way the Hebrew word is being used is the same. So there is a word for spirit, there's a word for heart, but they're both referring to the same thing. That is, one's inner will, one's heart, one's mind, one's wisdom, one's convictions, one's determinations. I like to say the core of who you are. God says something about the core of who you are is being stirred, is willing, is being moved. Again, two Hebrew words, one meaning, to change one's heart and compel to action. So this whole chapter is giving us a picture of the core of who the Israelites were was being redefined, is being molded. It was being not forced, but like convicted To move to do something. That's the picture that we're getting. And what they're convicted to do is to offer the best of their lives, the stuff to the temple, and then to actually take up the work of building the temple. And I love in verse 10 and verse 25, it says, Let every skillful craftsman among you come. Skillful craftsman is not incorrect but it's a really, it's a poor choice of words. Because it makes it, on first glance when you read this, it makes it sound like, oh, so there's people maybe within God's people, for us people within the church, who are set apart to actually like, do the work of temple building and Sabbath building. The Hebrew phrase, skillful craftsman, literally is translated wise-hearted, using the same words from earlier. So all of it is saying the same thing. Where it says, skillful craftsmen," the, the literal translation, wise-hearted, it's the same heart that's used earlier, and it's the same wisdom, the same willing, the same stirring that's moved earlier. It, all, it is all the same in the Hebrew language, the way these words are used. Moses is not saying only certain people in the church were to take up the work. Of building the temple and keeping the Sabbath. He said, every, it's the same thing throughout the chapter. Everyone whose heart, everyone whose core of who they were was deeply convicted, deeply moved to do something. Which then leads us to wonder, rightfully, so what stirred the people? I think the short answer most of you is like, oh, obviously God. But, church, it is interesting. All of this language is very passive. Whoever's heart was stirred, whoever's spirit was moved—like it talks about something greater than the people working on their hearts to actually allow them to do the work. And I—I I, I don't know about you, but that—that that hit me hard this week. I, I, you spend so much time listening to people saying, like, "This is what Christians ought to be doing. This is what the church ought to be doing." It's like a, a constant battle for what is going to get people to do what we want them to do, which I'm very uncomfortable with that line of thinking anyways. But it's amazing to me that the pattern we see in Exodus 35 is what actually stirs the heart of the people to change does not come from the people themselves. It's not the law. It's not a program. It's not a system of morality. It's nothing that the people come up with, nothing that the people put in place. There's nothing to do with the people that actually produces the heart to change and to take up the life that God has. And I'm grateful because as I'm reading this I'm going, man, if this is coming from Jordan, we're going to have a lot of arguments afterwards. And, and I'm, I'm grateful where the New Testament will step in and say, now, let, let me do some interpreting for you because we are told in the New Testament in several different places, specifically referencing Exodus 35, this is the work of the Holy Spirit. Church, that if you and I, if we in our personal lives are going to live as God desires us to, We're not going to do that without the Holy Spirit. But if we're going to see other people come to know God, if we will see change in our culture happen, that's also not going to happen if it is not the work of the Holy Spirit. Because we are being told very explicitly it is when God stirs, when God moves, when God convicts, that's when change happens. Acts 7, as Stephen is walking through Israel's history for the priests, which is like walking into a room of college professors and telling them everything they know already about their subject. They're going, yeah, well, you're telling me this, we all know this. Stephen walks through Israel's history and he calls out what led them to be unfaithful to God. And he actually, if you look in chapter 7, he references Moses' temple building work as a moment of where the people got it right. He's walking through the history, he says, you guys missed this, you guys missed this. Here you actually, you were okay. And then you missed it here, you missed it here. And he says, you stiff-necked people. That's one of my favorite phrases we've talked about. You donkey-like people, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears. You always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Stephen is telling them, look, it wasn't the fact that now that the people had the law right that they were going to take on the building of the temple. He says, it's not because you guys just figured it out. You got to the right standard. You got the right system. He says, it wasn't that that actually inspired Israel to faithful covenant life with God. It was the work of the Holy Spirit. And so as the Israelites and the Pharisees would learn to reject the Holy Spirit as we do today, that's what leads us in being error from God. Paul in Galatians 4, it's really all of Galatians 3, most of 4, a little bit of 5. We're not going to read all of it. But in the middle of this long section where Paul is tying the law and Jesus together, he says in chapter 4, verses 4 through 7, But when the time set had fully come, God sent his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law. So something greater than the law is coming, Paul says that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts. The Spirit who calls out Abba, Father. The Spirit who comes in and changes. The Spirit who comes in and transforms. The Spirit who enables us to live out God's design. He says, so you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. It's not the law that enabled and directed the people to live out the covenant faithfully. It was the Spirit of God at work. John 14, Jesus himself tells his disciples that the Helper, who's the Helper? The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So what does the Holy Spirit do? He will teach you all things, helping you know who God is, To live it out well. Sounds a lot like temple building. And bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Being reminded of who God is. Sounds like Sabbath keeping. Because it it matters for us today. Because we get so busy that we miss the Holy Spirit. And here we're seeing in Exodus what we saw in Acts, what we saw in Galatians, what Jesus Himself says in John. If we are not people who know how to Sabbath rest and who know how to build a temple under the direction of the Holy Spirit, if we are not this, our world's going to miss who God is. I love, I love how Scripture does a good job of, of pointing out where things are lacking without condemning them, okay? I, I don't see anywhere here where having the law was a bad thing, right? Now, of course, Christ for us has fulfilled the law, but God has given his people in different seasons the means that he desires for them to have his righteousness and to live it out well, Right, so when I talk about it's not the law, it's not the programs, it's not a policy, it's not a ministry, and when I say it's not these things that produce change, I'm not saying that they're bad, and I'm not saying that they don't have their place. Okay, please hear me on that. But if we are not in His Holy Spirit, then we are not Sabbath-keeping, we are not temple-building. At that point, we are not living faithful to the covenant that God has made with us. So what this means for us, church, I want to give you guys just a few questions to reflect on this week. The first, just thinking about we're called to keep the Sabbath. Just where where are we neglecting Sabbath keeping in our lives? Like if God says it's fundamental to him to have this rhythm of remembering who God is just pausing to reflect on it and to praise him back for it and to kind of bring other people in doing this, then where are we neglecting to do this? I grew up, most of my, most of my spiritual parents as well as my actual parents, uh, they would have all described themselves as Marthas. Uh, if you're familiar with the story of Martha and Mary, Mary comes and just sits at Jesus' feet, and Martha's doing all the work. Most of my leaders, my mentors, are, are Marthas. And they're, they all tend to be just irritated at the Marys. How can you just sit there? Don't you see all this stuff that has to be done? And Jesus very, he loves them both. And he basically tells them, Martha, there's a time and a place for you to do your work. There's a time and a place for you to do what Mary's doing, to sit at my feet and rest. It is not something that comes natural to us, church. Um, honestly, it's, it's one of the reasons we have a church picnic, because it's a time for us just to get to rest, to relax with one another, man, as you just get to talk about what's going on in your lives, you get to hear stories of what God is doing. That's reminding one another of who God is. Like, what we do here at church is not all just service or just all projects. We have to have times to rest together. It's, it's not very much in our nature, so I wanted to just leave you with the question to think about this week. Man, where am I neglecting Sabbath-keeping? Where have I filled my schedule so full that I just don't even have time to get to know God? And as I was thinking on this this morning, I'd also say for those of you who are looking at others saying, man, they do so much for God. I don't know, like, my family situation, my work situation, I will never be able to do as much. If you're sitting there and feeling that discouragement this morning, I also just encourage you that... (laughs) That line of thinking typically leads us to do nothing because we're paralyzed. That's what it at least does to me. And church, I've learned that, that even though I may be resting when I'm doing nothing, I can still be very selfish in my resting. So if we're doing so much that we're too busy to get to know God, or we're not doing anything because we're worried We're never going to be able to measure up to get to know God. Either way, we're not having time to get to know God. Where are we neglecting Sabbath keeping? The second question, where are you neglecting temple building? I love just, it it is so prevalent in Scripture that when people come to know God, just something happens in their hearts, His Holy Spirit, that they, they can't help but move. They can't help but bear his image. I mean, when you talk with people who, who do tend to be busy in the faith, it, it's, they're like, but I know God. How could I not be serving? And so I want to encourage you just where may, where may your, you be lacking in temple building? I had somebody once ask me the question if you're not seeing the fruit of God in your life, then what is your knowledge of God doing? I thought, that's, that's a worthy question. Because typically it tends to either produce pride in me, like, oh, good, I know so much about God, I'm okay, I'm better than most people. Or it produces, like, works but out of a selfish motivation, like, oh, because I know so much about God, I'm the only one who's capable to do this. Uh, I, have, I have said both of those things in my life. So where are we neglecting temple building? Where are we neglecting letting God mold us and shape us into his image? for whatever reason, church. I'm not gonna list them because there's many. The last question, where are you depending on the law, not the spirit? Again, I, I was challenged this week in chapter 35. Whenever we see God moving somewhere, this may not be true for you, but it is true for me. You, we wanna duplicate it, right? We wanna fit it into a process so we can keep the results moving. Like if it worked there, we want to do it here. Or if we can get these things to line up well, then that'll produce this outcome. And it just, it, it has stuck with me all week, and it's still, I, I'm still wrestling through, man, what does all does this mean for me? That it is the Holy Spirit alone who enables and directs us to actually live as God desires So where are you depending on the law instead of the Holy Spirit? Where are you trying to do more to make others change? Where are you trying to force others to look more Christian in an attempt to produce reconciliation or transformation? Where are we failing to pray for reconciliation and to trust that God's Spirit actually does transform into God's image? This is the reality of what our covenant life looks like, church. That this life with God, this faith, discipleship—you know, whatever language we want to use—it is a rhythm of Sabbath keeping and temple building. It is enabled and directed by His Holy Spirit. So, I, I, we'll take a moment. Um, we're gonna we'll pray together, kind of to this end, and then we're gonna we're gonna teach you guys a new song. Um, it's very much in a question, response, a kind of call to worship and a response. So, Abigail's going to be singing a series of questions. And then you're going to see the answer in parentheses. Um, so there's no pop quiz here to give you the answer. But when you sing the song, uh, I want you guys, just for today, this may be the only time I ever ask you to not sing. Um, sing the response. Receive the question as if it's being asked to you, and then sing the response. Let your heart actually say, yes, I do believe that. And then when we get to the chorus, which starts with, is anyone worthy? Is anyone whole? Join in that. Like, like Come in full force singing there too, because that's part of the declaration of who God is. If you get confused, just sing the entire time. That's fine too. But let's, let's pray to this end this morning, church. Oh God, the Holy Spirit, that which I know not, Teach me thou. Keep me a humble disciple in the school of Christ, learning daily there what I am in myself. I am a fallen and a sinful creature. I am justly deserving everlasting destruction. Oh, let me never lose sight of my need of a Savior, or forget that apart from Him I am nothing and I can do nothing. Open my understanding to know the Holy Scriptures. Reveal to my soul the counsels and the works of the Blessed Trinity. Instill into my dark mind the saving knowledge of Jesus. Make me acquainted with his covenant undertakings and his perfect fulfillment of them. That by resting on his finished work, I may find the Father's love in the Son, his Father, my Father. And be brought through thy influence to have fellowship with the three in one. O lead me into all truth, thou spirit of wisdom and revelation, that I may know the things that belong unto my peace, and through thee be made anew. Make practical upon my heart the Father's love, as thou hast revealed it in the Scriptures. Apply to my soul the blood of Christ effectually, continually, and help me to believe with conscience comforted that it cleanseth from all sin. Lead me from faith to faith that I may at all times have freedom to come to a reconciled Father and may be able to maintain peace with Him against doubts, fears, corruptions, temptations. Thy office, O Holy Spirit, is to teach me to draw near to Christ with a pure heart, steadfastly persuaded of His love in the full assurance of faith. Let me never falter in this way. Amen.